and there it goes. Now it's live on LinkedIn, on our LinkedIn page. So if you're a LinkedIn active person and you want to share it with your friends, you can do that very easily now. We're uh, streaming now, dude. Like, so we're Clubhouse simultaneously with Twitter, with LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. Yeah, I could do Facebook, but it would go to my personal profile, which I don't want to do. I want it to go to the tech news profile. Yeah. And I could do that if I think it would cost $19 a month. I should probably just do that. Or if there's a company. A page or a group uh, or there is a like public that. facing profile. I thought it let you have. You can have your personal and public private. Yeah, it, it's funky how they do it. But um, yeah, I should probably. But I think your it, audience is not in Facebook, right? True. But. Yeah, so, is anyone who will listen? No, I have a lot of people that would probably follow this that are on Facebook. Yeah, I think it might. So, um, do you have to be on Club Dead to do all this uh, streaming, like um, on Twitter and and also LinkedIn? Now, do you, can you do it from your phone? No, you couldn't do it from your phone. Um, you need either Club Deck or a a roadcaster pro and i think you would need one of those two things and those things are i think on uh, on the laptop on the computer not they are not apps on the phone so okay yeah, that is pretty easy yeah so yeah. The, yeah yeah if you get the virtual audio cable cables and you have if you have a pc they have a lot of free tools out there you can use to mimic a roadcaster, like a mixer. Yeah, yeah. I think I got in trouble because I was, I was trying to download the Club Deck, but I got in trouble because I signed up originally to Clubhouse when I was in the U.S., of course, like anyone stuck there uh, during COVID. Uh, but then I moved back to Ethiopia and then I don't have my U.S. phone anymore and uh doesn't do roaming or anything i actually lost it uh, uh, completely oh, and now google voice. google voice yeah it keeps on asking me to use the exact same phone number i can't not use different numbers so otherwise it's gonna treat me as two different people right uh, i think i have to ask help with their admin people clubhouse people i've been trying to do it so yeah, they haven't done that yet because if you say, for instance, switch your phone number out, if you want to change your number, you can't because the Clubhouse one, it won't let you change it to your new phone number. You'll have to set up a new account. I've already asked. Yeah, apparently, I don't know. But anyway, I, I'm going to try. Apparently, someone did it um, the, by saying that they lost their US phone and they would like to keep their their sim account and um you have to you have to do a lot of nagging i think so i might try it but i haven't succeeded it yet so. well, good luck okay one second here hey on a, a separate note i want to thank you all because uh since i've been following you i've enjoyed the overall discussion and uh you've given me a number of avenues of things to read up on and round out some of my my research on various product projects and initiatives so been kind of profitable too that's great to hear thanks for sharing that and 
Hold on, I just announced my next Stockholm event 10 minutes ago, and I already got an email from someone wanting to sponsor it for this company. So... Well, you want an opinion on top? Um, yeah, could do. But yeah, good idea. That's the magic of uh, the Clubhouse pin feature, isn't it? So here we go. Mm -hmm. it, here's the link. It's... And hey, Tyler, do you have any of your 2022, like second, first or second mm -hmm. quarter events planned? Because I should be in Finland, um, maybe May, April, May. No, but the gen, the first quarter events are going to be really strong. Like Sequoia Capital wants to do it, um, which will be super strong. And yeah, but, uh, SoftBank also wants to do it. So it'll be the, that's exciting. Yeah, nice. we're gonna have some very strong guests in the first quarter, and and a new venue that is being built right now that has a the state. I just had a meeting with them yesterday. It's the most central venue in all of Stockholm. It's in what's called Circle Story. That's the Times Square of Stockholm, and this venue is in Circle Story. It's a brand new venue, and it has the the largest uh it has a stage mm -hmm. with an auto brand new auditorium for about 450 people which is perfect for us that's exactly our audience size and the the video wall behind the stage is 30 meters wide by five meters high so it's even much bigger than the video wall they use at the apple keynote events And it's curved, a curved 30 meter wide, five yeah, meter high video wall. It's the largest video wall known in Europe. So it'll, it, it'll be fantastic for do have, you know what I mean? Like uh, to, in, you don't need a projector. It's a massive curving LED wall. Can you announce the date once it's uh, available? Maybe we can arrange a tech news meetup there. The January one, you mean? We're, we're going to have another one December 14th. Um, January one. January one will be event. after somewhere in January 15 to January 30, somewhere in the, in the, because everyone comes back from the holidays around January 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. I have to wait for the December one. CES is in January, so mm -hmm. I'll wait for December. But now we get to start using. This brand new state-of-the-art venue smack dab in the center of the city. It's like ridiculously, it's like a very prestigious location to be that central. And it's unheard of because there was never a venue there, but now there's going to be a venue there. And uh, the, the venue has a live streaming booth so you, with cameras. Um, like the whole venue is meant to host... Um, what do you call it? Uh, Esports live events. That's kind of what the, the purpose of the venue is for. So it's going to have multiple cameras and a camera switching system and all of that for the live streaming for events like that. So it should be very high production. It should be very cool. Yeah. So let's get into, we got the live stream and we're now live streaming on LinkedIn. Thank you everybody for that. And let's see, audio settings, audio effects, here we go, let's, let's get.
thank you to everyone for helping us get the LinkedIn live stream going. And now we get to do the news. Are we ready? Anyone have a um, let's go uh, article they want to share before we get into the the big popular headlines of the moment? Hey, I'm just excited that Apple is now selling parts. Um, now, granted, I don't know exactly what to do with it, but I've been wanting to tinker on some of my old uh, laptops, so I look forward to it. And that was a CNB CNBC article that I tagged you guys on on Tech News. Okay, I was about to say, because everything's soldered onto the motherboard now. How are you supposed to tinker? I don't know, but... Top news. What's that? That's the top news, Tyler, coincidentally. Okay. Oh, yes. Apple announces self-service repair, a program starting next year that will publish repair manuals, let customers buy parts and tools and more. The tech giant says it will publish repair manuals and allow everyday customers to buy the same parts and tools certified technicians and repair shops use. Good times. Why not make some I mean, videos? Perfect, perfect timing. I mean, but that's fixit.com. If anybody ever tinkers with their Mac, that's that website, iFixit. They do literally yeah, I, the same I, I guess you'll have to agree that you've avoided your warranty if you want to take matters into your own hands because they can't be responsible <laughs> for your shenanigans inside yeah. of your devices. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but some of us have like multiple, like we might, like I've gotten new laptops over the years and just kept my old ones. And I'm like, you know what? If I want to pull something apart now, we'll give it a try. Who cares if I break it? But, yeah. um, you know, that's only upside. Yeah. Exactly. I all devices uh, that I want to update, upgrade, and uh, tinker with and play with. Uh, now I'm able to do that. So I'm really happy about time. Thank you, Apple. I <laughs> change my battery myself all the time. It's very I would cheap. Love it's to just like the Tim Boxworthy the, and like the previous iPhones 8 so it's very easy to change yourself even though how to avoid breaking the uh, the cameras mm -hmm. okay next one up is from the Washington Post that over oh it's a it's a two two point article two different articles same issue one of the issues was from yesterday, which is that the Wall Street Journal says they have sources that Activision CEO failed to inform the board about allegations of an employee that had been raped by her superior in 2016 and 2017, even after a settlement. And then the news today from the Washington Post is that over 100 Activision Blizzard employees staged a walkout on Tuesday, the second in four months, demanding CEO Bobby Kotick's down after a Wall Street Journal report. This story has been updated. Uh, so a hundred employees, and I think we we found the oh, to get a sense of the size of Activision. They have it's a very big company, and it's just to get a measure how big is a hundred. Well, it, we don't. It, I think it's important to know how big the company is so you can get a sense of what percentage of people that is that represents. Um, I, I my sense is that it's not a very big percentage of people. Um, and it'll be 
I, I wonder what's going to happen here. So it's, they're based in Irvine, California. Which they have is, about 9,500 employees total. 10,000. Okay, so out of 10,100 mm -hmm. is 0.1%? Uh, or 1%. 10,000, 1,000 would be 10, 100, that's 1%. That's about 1. Employees at beleaguered video game company Activision walked out Tuesday following Wall Street Journal report that the CEO knew about sexual misconduct claims at the company and didn't inform its board of directors for years. In, in, I mean, more specifically, it was at one of the game studios that Activision happens to own. Uh, but the CEO was familiar with that and didn't report it to the board. And I guess a good question would be to ask him, why didn't he report it to the board? And there was a, it was implied in an earlier article that he somehow didn't, wasn't really familiar with it. And I wonder to how, how likely that is. In a response to the story, a number of Activision Blizzard employees gathered in front of the campus at Blizzard Entertainment, one of the major studios that make up the Activision Blizzard family. Right, that's my point. So under Activision Blizzard, if we could look up on, for example, Wikipedia to find out how many different uh, subsidiaries they have, because they have quite a few, like Activision, that's one company, Blizzard Entertainment, that's another, King, which are started by friends of mine, <laughs> Treyarch, uh, Infinity Ward, Major League Gaming, Vicarious Visions, uh, Toys for Bob, Beanex, High Moon Studios, Demonware, Jumpstart Games, Freestyle Games, Omniata, Centercore, PDQ, Vivendi Games Limited, Activision Blizzard Ireland, Midas Player Malta Holdings, Digital Legends Entertainment, Midas Player AB here in Sweden, King, as I mentioned, Demonware, ATVI France, to name but a few. I mean, it just goes on and on. Holy Jesus. We're talking maybe 40 companies that are under this umbrella. So many of which I'm not even familiar with. Centersoft. There's a lot of game studios, you know, that you don't necessarily know the game studios. Um that are all fit under Activision Blizzard. So I guess it is possible that this guy uh, wasn't so familiar with this when you've got- I'm not sure, Tyler, because it says that in July, California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a lawsuit that alleged the company had a frat boy culture breeding ground for harassment and discrimination against women. So you can't have a suit like that and then claim that you have plausible deniability or you're obtuse about it. I don't think that he can really wash himself away of that. What I mean is, does he, did he know that that rape uh, settlement had happened at that studio, which is one of 40 game companies that they own? Tyler, are those all game companies or some of them just legal subsidiaries that they set up as a, a corporate I, entity? I did, or, I did my yeah. best to only read the non-subsidiaries. For example, there's a shit ton of subsidiaries like Activision Publishing Minneapolis, Activision Blizzard Nordics, Activision Italia, Activision Blizzard Deutschland, Vivendi Games, 
Activision, Midas. Okay, that, 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 you, you, so you, you understand where I was going with that? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, but I, feel uh, like I he's agree that though, having a, an umbrella company with so many other companies underneath you, it's impossible to be cognizant of everything that's happening. I mean, it can happen even five companies that you own under an umbrella company to keep track of everything. But when you're that being sued, though. When you're exactly. Being when you're being sued, yeah, like that, you know right? that. No, they you are not have... getting sued. Your legal team is handling the suit. Yeah, and but their the legal team is, is not still... going to tell you everything. No, but they still have court. I've sat with C-suites. They have meetings about thing like they they tear the everything yeah i mean not always your legal that. team can have a meeting with your manager or anyone around under you you don't they don't have to reach you every single time for all these details i, I would it depends on the nominal dollar amount how much they care but seriously when it comes to something that is forward facing can have serious impact on the image of your company and margins they have meetings about this with all, all the heads to notify them of what's going on. So either that whole legal team needs to be fired for not notifying it, notifying them in their weekly or bi-weekly meetings, because they have those to know what's the hot ticket items uh, going on in the company. Yeah, so I agree matter. with they that. Don't need, they don't Somebody, need to know everything, yeah. but this yeah. man, he knew. So yeah, someone might... did drop the ball, so yeah. We might know the answer because I was, I, like I said, what we want is a response from the CEO and he actually has provided one in an internal video message ahead of the walkout Tuesday morning, the CEO responded in a video message saying, there's an article today that paints an inaccurate and misleading view of our company, of me personally, of my leadership, he said in the video and added that anyone who doubts my conviction to be the most welcoming, inclusive workplace doesn't really appreciate how important this is to me. We, in a statement to the Washington Post, Activision Blizzard disputed the Wall Street Journal's report. We are disappointed in the Wall Street Journal's report, which presents a misleading view of Activision Blizzard and our CEO. The statement reads, instances of sexual misconduct that were brought to his attention were acted upon. The Wall Street Journal ignores important changes underway to make this the industry's most welcome welcoming and inclusive workplace and that's their statement so one was from the ceo one was from a spokesperson to the wall street journal in response to their article and the article continues that this is the second employee walkout that the company has seen in the past four months and a head count by washington post reporter in irvine topped 110 protesters gathered outside the offices Activision Blizzard staff involved in the walkout said the number reached 150 as with as many as 50 more participating by halting work from remote locations. In a statement to the Washington Post the, regarding the walkout, Activision Blizzard wrote, we are fully committed to fostering a safe, inclusive, rewarding environment for all our employees around the world. We support their right to express their opinions and concerns in a safe and respectful manner without fear of retaliation. Jennifer Gonzalez, a senior test analyst for Battle.net at Blizzard, first posted to Twitter uh, that she was walking out and calling for the resignation of the CEO. We all think Bobby's not leading like he should be leading, Gonzalez told the Post in a phone interview last week. He's trying to do the minimum possible to get people off his back. I just don't feel that he's in touch with game development and having this weird crutch of exploitation of labor in this industry. It's just not how you make a good product. According to 
Wall Street Journal report, Activision Blizzard board of directors was surprised by the suit's allegations and that the CEO had not informed them of the full details. The article claims the CEO knew of sexual misconduct allegations at the company and in some cases fought to keep employees accused of harassment in positions of power while, while keeping the board of directors in the dark. But that's a, that's a rather strong assertion that would need rather strong evidence. I have a friend that uh, I don't want to give his name because he is on Clubhouse and he's part of the game industry club. And we actually talked about this when this stuff came about in July and he worked there and he was like everything that was in the articles about the frat boy culture was true and it was unfortunate. But and then they groom younger, the younger generation who's just coming in from whatever because they're geniuses in their own right. They're they're repeating the cycle by teaching them as well. So I don't know what that CEO is talking about, but he, it's just unfortunate. I hope it gets better. My question is that was he um, cognizant of that uh, culture? Uh, he or became that more, he was, was there when he was a bit young and when he got a bit older, he was more cognizant because there's some no no that you know. okay so being association is not the proof of uh, a crime uh, maybe he's there in the same space uh, and part of the company but was is there uh, any proof uh, that oh, you mean the CEO. and shed light that he was aware made aware of the situation and he chose to ignore and not take any action that it, that's the right question that because that's what they're but they just said that though well, that's no, what they they're saying, know. but they don't, of course, well, they, they don't. They said they kept the developers, the developers who were accused, they kept them on board. So that means they that's, kept them um, that's what That's what the Wall Street Journal is so he was accusing them of, but they don't have any evidence of that. That's that, I would love to see evidence of it. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. People say all kinds of stuff, like prove it, uh, show it that you you were debriefed, uh, that person was sent email, and then he chose to right. take no action. And he said, no, or I'm not going to do like anything about it. like a lower level manager who decided to sweep it under the rug exactly. and not let him know it's most how of the time high those employees who try to go. prove their worth by taking care of stuff and keeping the head uh, of the, you know, whatever, uh, uninformed. But, I, know, I think the culture ignorance isn't, you know, doesn't, you know, let you go. You should know what's going on with your company, period. Yeah, so but we're talking, we're not, we're, we're not talking no, about no, no, it. No. It's, it's also not a normal company structure. It's 40 yeah, different companies 40, with 40, 40 companies. different no, offices I understand. I, I, in 40 yeah, yeah, different I cities. That, but, I get it. But, yeah, with, but the, with, the thing is now, what does, doing you... what does he do? What action does he take when he finds out that this is happening? And if the action is swift and strict, that means once he's finding out, he's taking appropriate action. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. At the point where the state's suing you, at that point, you should know as leadership. And what are you doing about it at that point? Exactly. Then you become accountable because you either choose to ignore the culture and choose to not change it, or you take action, either reactionary action or proactive action, but you take action. And that's what he should be judged on. I really don't see the evidence of him knowing it before, but I find it hard to believe that you can have such a culture without some of that trickling upwards. And mind you, I this has been going on for years. Article, they can in the Wall Street Journal. It's quite detailed. It's a, a big article from yesterday, and there's some other big articles that preceded it. But that article yesterday is 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 somewhat detailed. You can believe it or not believe it or whatever. Um, but this this it's just not like a, a blurb. So I, I would read the article. 
the one the one thing on i years. Yeah. you know the whole diversity thing has been going on for years in the gaming industry between whether it's the gamer you know young ladies playing video games because i'm a heavy gamer myself or just women trying to develop games this has been going on you know this this isn't just new so i mean i'm sure he's cognizant of the environment of the gaming industry i mean we all are the the big challenge for me is when everybody always goes only after the ceo and Sharon, I totally align with what you were saying too, especially once the stake got involved. And also once there's a settlement, everybody at a certain level should know, especially when there's a payout. But my greatest concern with all this has always been not the CEO. Yeah, go after the CEO. But when they keep these jerks in these roles, it sends a message and it stays. And so the question is, once he found things out, everything what Sharon said, but also what did he do with those who were involved and those who didn't follow up? That's HR. And that's also the people who have been covering for these bad actors. We never solve any of this because we never take out the people who cover for the bad actors, too. Just my two cents after seeing this stuff for Yep, they moved to other they moved to other companies. I've seen it. They they moved to other divisions because they're I guess, you know, they're master coders or they're good at what they do. They kind of like have them go under, you know, other labels or other IPs. So to that it's point. Unfortunate. Yeah. There's it, the article ends by saying that Activision's Blizzard's board of directors stated in a news release yesterday that it remains confident in the CEO's leadership and that the CEO has addressed the workplace issues brought to his attention. So while there's, I'm pausing to say that while they even said that they were surprised that it wasn't brought to their attention about this allegation from 2016 and 2017, or the settlement rather, um, they today, or rather yesterday, uh, did a news release themselves as the board of the company saying that they remain confident in his leadership and uh, and that he he has addressed the workplace issues brought to his attention, implying that they believe that he wasn't knowledgeable, that this that this wasn't brought to his attention as he claims. And, exactly. There, the the there, things that were brought to his attention. Yeah, and I think it would be if they had actual evidence that it was brought to his attention and he ignored it, they would show it very perfectly clearly. They would say, here's an email sent to him on this date, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, but they probably, and by the way, he might have gotten that email. It, he may have been in that meeting. He might have gotten that text message, but without evidence of it, it's very strong to make the claim that if he knew of it, unless you have evidence of that, I, I, if they're claiming that they are claiming that, I would like to know what what sort of evidence they have. I would love to see it. I, I would be open. I'm I don't doubt the possibility that he did know about it. Um, the the next paragraph is also equally interesting. On the other side, saying nothing in Activision Blizzard's statement challenges the facts in our reporting, wrote Steve. Severingaus, Senior Director of Communications at Dow Jones, which publishes the Wall Street Journal, in response to Activision Blizzard's statement. And that's itself is a very interesting quote, because he's saying, hey, they're not denying what we said. Nothing in their statement challenges the facts in our reporting. Um, 
a current Activision employee who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation said they'd been afraid of returning to the office because they believed the CEO had threatened or used intimidation tactics in the past. Seeing it in text from other people, it validates everything. Well, then show that to the reporter. So now they, that's the last paragraph of this article uh, that it's a quote from an anonymous employee um, implying that the CEO threatens people via text. Okay, well, don't say that verbally. Show it. <laughs> if he's doing it via text, you have the smoking gun. Show it to the journalist so the journalist can at least say, uh, you know, as as verified and seen by in documents that we've seen at the Washington Post so they can verify that he is threatening people. Uh I'm curious if the if the Wall Street Journal is correct that they're not challenging the facts in the reporting. Because when I read their response, it did sort of seem to counter, uh, maybe not on a factual basis. That it said we're disappointed in the Wall Street Journal report, which presents a misleading view, but they're not directly challenging uh, them. Okay. I guess you can take that as a win that they didn't challenge you directly on your on your points and they just said that it's misleading. But when you're writing a hit piece, I, I don't think they're going to engage with you in a goodwill uh, argument because you have the platform of publication. They don't. So they're not going to engage with you in a debate on your own platform. There's an article that... So, Yeah, well, we're going to see what happens. One one thought that came into my mind is the CEO's statement where he says there's an article that paints an inaccurate and misleading view of our company and me personally. That's the comment that there was a comment very similar to that, which got them in hot water in the first place. Where when the state of California uh, started their lawsuit, that was the reaction as well. That was the initial statement, which is. This is in, an inaccurate and misleading view of our company. And because of that statement, people walked out. You guys remember this? That was the first original walkout was because they disagreed. Yeah, you remember but that? Tyler Vent, yeah. then, 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 then Bobby came out after that. And it wasn't his statement, but basically admitted whoever had made the statement on their behalf that, you know, uh, that it was tone deaf. So, um, you know, people need to, to read this stuff. And I'm just thinking about, like, maybe not everybody could actually see the article if you don't have a subscription for, uh, to the journal. Um, and I don't know if you how you want to think about this, Tyler, but there's a lot of stuff like that. You know, we're, we're, we're pinning up articles that people don't have subscriptions to and they'll hit paywalls. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if you want to get involved with it, if you want to have an email distribution and convert some of those articles to PDFs or something and send them out so people could read it. Because, I mean, this this is an article. I do have a Wall Street Journal subscription, so I've actually read the article. Mm -hmm. it, it would be very helpful to read the article. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I got it right here. I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. And doo -doo -doo. is there a particular part you've, you found uh, well, well, I read it yesterday. I'm just saying it's a very long article, and it, and it, has, it has a 
uh, you know, it has detail in it. When I say detail, it's not like there's a, 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 an email memo like you're suggesting. But when they when they when they quote somebody or something, they, they you know they're getting a little you know fervor into that. And and I think you could read that article depending on how you want to look at it. You know, you know, one way or the other. Uh, to say that you know he didn't know anything, like completely anything, I think would be very hard. Mm-hmm. That he didn't maybe know the 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 extent or whatever, you know, possibly. Okay, I mean, you know, you, but you have to, you know, you know, read the article and and you know maybe you read it more than once. I'm just saying, but there's a lot of speculation going on in this room from you know the people yeah. I think making general comments about you know. The, the way corporations work that are not specific to this. And, and you should just read the article and take it in and make your own, you know, yeah. judgments. And there's other, but is, but is, but is this room supposed to be those who are thoroughly researched everything? Or are we just catching things top line and having general discussion? That's and those what who want to go deeper. The, again, the those who want to go deeper can go deeper because even though we're talking about this company, it is, this is just an example of others, and that's what I'm kind of gleaning from other people here, not just about this gentleman. Just my two. Okay, I'm I'm going to read it, and then I because there's going to be more fallout. I mean, this is not the end of this by any means. Hundred percent. This is right. going to be a big blowout, and right. the stocks so, are already showing that. Right. So I recommend for those who can, I would recommend reading the Wall Street Journal article that's leading to this. And it reads like, you know, the Facebook files uh, where, you know, it's the headline itself says Activision CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about sexual misconduct allegations at video game giant. Top executive didn't inform board of some reports, including alleged rapes. Company faces multiple regulatory investigations. And then the story begins. And you can listen. It's an 18 minute uh, audio version of it. So it is rather long, uh, but probably not boring. So I'm looking for, I'm going to earmark that one. I'm going to read that one as soon as I get a chance. And because um, no doubt there'll be more about this in the days to come. So put a pin in this one to be continued. And for those who want to deep dive, let's deep dive. I want to deep dive on that one. I'd, I'd love to know more about that. And um, the next one is from Bloomberg. It says that Amazon tells its UK customers it won't accept Visa credit cards issued in the UK starting January 19, 2022, citing high transaction fees. Holy smokes. Yeah, that was a huge one. Wow. Wow. I'm not sure it's as huge as, as maybe you guys think. Most people in the UK use Visa debit and Amazon is not getting rid of Visa debit. So uh-huh. it's only the credit transactions. All right. Uh-huh. So, so most people, when they go out, they use Visa debit because there are additional fees when when you use the Visa credit card. So if you go to Sainsbury's or, or if you just buy anything, then there's an additional cost if you use. Uh, I mean, it's small, but an additional cost if you because use your credit card. Amazon users were told of the changes this week after making purchases they received. A notification from the company saying that from January 19 next year, we will no longer accept Visa credit cards issued in the UK. So they're they're basically only alerting people who have used Visa credit cards. Due to yeah, the- I have, for example, so mm-hmm. I read that article and the first time I read it, I thought, holy shit, they're getting rid of Visa. I'm fucked. I'll need to uh, 
I'll need to use another uh, payment method. I'm sure Amazon will offer me one of their own. Um, mm. And then I read it more in, in more detail. And suddenly I realized, actually, okay, this isn't, it sounds big and obviously it's a problem for Visa and their credit card division, but it's, it's not really that big in regard to Visa and transaction volume that they do in the UK because most of the transaction volume Ooh. is Visa. Mm -hmm. You know what is interesting though is Amazon partnered with a firm, the Buy Now Pay Later company. Exactly. I, I, this is just a stepping stone. That's why I said huge. I don't care about just the one thing. If they yeah. can make a move on Visa like this, where will it go next? That's well, here's here's what oh, this this is this is a major shot across the bow. I mean, the the ramifications downstream of this for shifting from, uh, you know, uh, credit card uh, margins going to zero. Um, it is, is, it, this is going to have ripple effects very far, very fast. Yeah. Here, here's my point is that a firm, which is a buy now pay later company that did a partnership with Amazon. So um, what was it? Six days, 60 days to the sort of, uh, buy now pay later digital model. Right. Um, so I suppose there's some inference in that, but, right. uh, in regards to general volume, most people pay you know, from their bank account. And so I don't see Amazon until they become a bank themselves or they partner with a bank. I don't see them wanting to put barriers in the way of people paying directly from their current account, which is where most of the volume is. But they, they might. Oh, I, I just want to add at a point here. I think this one of the key things is every single big tech company is moving into financial services. And they're all either doing institutional partnerships behind the scenes. For example, Apple Pay and Apple actually offers financing, uh, but they don't have to be a bank to offer financing. They're, their partnership is with Goldman Sachs institutional site that powers who are fully regulated and fall into every single regulation. So Apple doesn't have to be. So in order for some of these tech giants to really be act like a bank, provide similar services, lending, financing, wallets this is particularly a digital wallet move as well because anyway we're getting rid of plastic in general with crypto and a lot of other digital currencies so this is pretty much kind of building towards that metaverse kind of a, a run-up where all of these tech companies are pretty you know going towards the tokens so i do think in order to provide any financial services you don't have to actually be a bank period there are many different ways you can offer the exact same services and given that amazon's presence and the number of buyers they have for all kinds of things, they can very much come into that market by trying to eliminate other dependencies like Visa and other players in the market today as intermediaries for them. Wondering Amen. if the, because of the buy now, pay later partnerships, uh, where they just made an exclusive deal with a firm, if, if, the, if for some reason they've, that they prefer that people use a firm rather than Visa, for example. Um, that's that's one of the big worries that the credit cards have is that this is preferable not only to the end customer, but also to the merchants. And that's why these buy now, pay laters are just exploding internationally um, because they're an alternative to credit cards. Yeah, I mean, in the US, we already use a lot of that, uh, you know, pay now. I mean, almost like everything that most people these days buy on Apple, they're not using a credit card. They're just using Apple system of financing, uh, which is basically like buy now, pay later. 
model or they're using a wallet, a digital wallet that's either owned by them or controlled by them or dr driven by them rather than an external third party vendor, at least on the customer facing side. You don't have to pay uh, until the end of the month. So that's kind of playing into that aspect of uh, buying now and over time playing, paying in like small increment amount. Um, but Tyler, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a decision that Visa can make, right? Because since there are so many comp uh, competition nowadays, um, they can always adjust their fees, right? If they decide to do that, I instead of losing their big customers like Amazon. And others, maybe. I agree. Well, I mean, their that their business model makes money off of interest, so they would be giving up a, a huge chunk of their profit if they were to change their model at this point. This becomes a comp <laughs> competitive edge for them. I, I think all the business will be huge. Off. Also for Amazon, you know, you know, fees can be a reason why you're doing it, but I don't think the move is because of fees alone, to be very frank. Uh, because if you think about Square, um, Square offers Cash App in the United States, like Venmo, which is a digital wallet. PayPal is very much now playing a pretty central role in basically any kind of payment mechanism. So in the sense of digital wallets and crypto wallets, uh, digital currencies, uh, which much easier, you know, facilitate a transaction without having to touch three different, you know, transaction fee structures. And also the slowness in terms of the volume, say if I'm transferring a million dollars to you know ten dollars there's a big difference in what the fees are gonna also happen or even when i do the purchases using the credit card so there's a lot of unnecessary layers of additional transaction costs only because of several third-party intermediaries that credit card companies depend on so in this case it's like hey my consumer is buying from me directly and i can't why can't i be the one they can do the payment transaction with rather than depending on a routing them through these three other channels and that's where all the fees get incurred. And then both Amazon ends up paying that as well as the customer is also paying at the same time. Now, in this case, Amazon can also kind of push towards more, more, more low fees options for customers. And a whole bunch of financial services mm -hmm. are going to go primarily through tech, not through banking anymore. So well, and, infrastructure and, is getting and, built. And if I may speculate and if I have the permission to express my thoughts, I believe they are also... Uh, going to collect all this financial data. So it's more about data collection than anything else. That's what I was thinking, is they get more data from the buy now pay later. I think it was Anita who said, it's not just the fees, it's probably a data thing as well. Okay. I mean, the fees things are, are a big thing. We've had a major supermarket in the United States. It was like 2019, I think it was Kroger that stopped taking Visa cards. Uh, on the credit card side, you know, they, they would take the debit. And then about sometime, I don't know if it was six months, a year later, they reversed that probably because they got, an, a, a, even though it wasn't announced, I'm assuming they got Visa to cut the fees. The fee thing's always been an issue. It's why a lot of companies, um, at least in the States, they won't take American Express because American Express has even higher fees than Visa. And American Express has always argued, though, that we've got the best customers, you know, they, they've got the biggest accounts and they spend more money. So if you want that business, you'll continue to taking, you know, Amex. And, you know, obviously people do take Amex, but a lot of people, you know, don't. But I do think that Visa and MasterCard, the credit card companies, because of a firm and the, these other and crypto and everything else that's coming, they're going to be in a situation and companies have been in this situation before and they don't always necessarily make the right decision. Do you cannibalize yourself 
before the competitors completely cannibalize you. You could make a big argument, okay? And I was always surprised when it happened, but it did happen that they failed to do it. I was surprised at the cable companies in the United States, like Comcast, many years ago, when they used to have pay-per-view movies that were like $13, $14 a piece, didn't cut, renegotiate their deals with the studios to offer much lower fees for pay-per-view because otherwise it was obvious that Netflix was going to eat their business because Netflix was charging the same amount of money per month for basically an all-you-can-eat as opposed to per movie. Now, had Comcast and the other cable companies figured out how to do with the studios, which also compete with Netflix because Netflix is now a studio, had they figured out how to come up with a better model for pay-per-view before Netflix grew to what it grew to, Netflix wouldn't be as big as they are today. I mean, but they didn't want to cannibalize themselves. They didn't, they, they just looked like, well, we're getting a revenue stream off pay-per-view. And like, if we, if we cut the price or we, you know, re, you know, rejigger the, you know, this, this, the whole thing, it's going to be an immediate huge revenue loss. Well, now it's like a total revenue loss because they did nothing. And that's really the position that Visa's in. They're going to have to make a decision. Do we do it now and, you know, take the pain now? Or do we wait till, you know, we're irrelevant? I mean, that's my view. Yeah, yeah and Visa is down 5%. Uh, Firm is up 3% in the markets today. I don't think those are coincidental. And I think what Ken's saying is absolutely true. I mean, does Visa want to be a blockbuster Kodak? Uh, or are they going to uh, make a transition a little more proactively? It's kind of late to be proactive, but um, it's happening. Uh, hi, look, it's Simon in South Africa here. I've just seen a, a talking about the disruption of the uh, credit card companies. The, the largest retailer in South Africa, which is a company called ShopRite, um, has just launched a transactional bank account for all its customers. So it's, got, it's already got half a million customers and it has over 20 million customers in, you know, throughout the country. So the, 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 uh, the credit card companies have, have better, better wake up because you've got retailers now getting into their space. Hey, this is Yvette down here in the bottom right in yellow. I just want to make a couple of comments. You know, one, not disagreeing about, um, you know, Amazon having other um, reasons why they're doing this, but also want to point out that Amazon is focused on profitability and they were in a way they weren't before. I think it was about 2019 or 17. Um, the first time Amazon as a company um, realized actual profit for the year and since then they've been focused more on profitability another example is in the uk with the amazon prime um, subscription if your purchase is less than 20 uh, pounds you no longer um, can get free shipping so what they're doing is basically saying the small purchases that are high cost for us we're no longer going to ship those for free even if you have a prime account so that Def, that plus this definitely show a move uh, toward profitability. And then the second comment I was going to make about, you know, Ken and you, what you said about the cable providers. So at that time, I was working um, as a consultant for Verizon, one of the largest cable providers, and I helped launch their first product where you could watch TV not on cable. And I'll just say, frankly, across the industry, they didn't really think that Netflix and these streaming services will become what they are. So you know, within the industry, often if you're a giant, it's hard to see the amount of disruption that's going to come. And so, you know, there is a huge likelihood they're not going to cannibalize. But I think the bigger question is not whether or not they're going to cannibalize their 
um, existing market, the bigger question is whether they even believe the size of the upcoming disruption that you guys are talking about. I'll land my plane there. Can I share some data here? Sure. You know, Visa is still the cheapest. Visa is still the cheapest uh, network provider in UK. They were charging 1.15%. They just gone up to 1.45, which is still, and, and MasterCard was charging way more than that from before Adfil. And uh, Amex is still charging around 1.65% there in the UK. I'm not sure why the others are not banned and why Visa is is getting banned. Just because they increased their price, that too happened in just last, last April. So still the, still, still the cheapest network provider in the UK, Visa. I, I don't think it has to do with the fees, honestly. I think that they're setting up to do their own buy now, pay later program, which will then feed the data and, and bolster their ability to profitize. That's exactly where they're going. So, so uh, just to oh. jump in, this is Raga, and thank you for sharing the interchange fees. I was actually looking it up. Uh, as you were speaking, and uh, I think that's a important thing that interchange fees. Typically, MX has been on the high end. Uh, the so if if Amazon seeks to actually be a bank, it will come under very different regulations. Uh, so they've typically done tie-ups with other banks to offer their own. So if they want to do any kind of, uh, of a buy now pay later and carry the balance on their books, they have to have a partnership with the bank or try to become a bank themselves. Uh, it, it is far more complicated than simply uh, you know, using the data. They already have data on, on people uh, and their buying habits. So this is not going to give them a whole lot of more transparency into people. It'll only give them a, a ability to uh, earn the profits from carrying debt on their books. Thank you, I'm done speaking. I imagine, and Johan might know, or the Scandinavians will likely know, the that the buy now, pay later models reduce shopping cart abandonment or they, they have a, a higher checkout percentage than um, without it. So I imagine I think that's one of the major value propositions is they can reduce the amount of people who leave the website without uh, doing their purchases. So that could be another, there's several factors, but um, it's a really interesting move. And I think we'll see, we're gonna see more of this, but my hunch is that buy now, pay laters, and you're right, I think Amazon themselves will likely get in, well, they just did this thing with a firm. They might buy a firm that would be crazy. Anyway. Amazon. Maybe they'll buy Visa because v Visa, <laughs> I mean, I worked in this space for, uh, for a number of years. Visa and Amex and all of the credit card providers, they understand better than anybody else how to manage bad debt, credit card debt. And they have decades, <clears throat> you know, 50, 60 years worth of experience of doing that. So as Amazon disrupts, maybe they buy the visa business so that they can then understand um, in more detail how you manage and reduce bad debt, which is a problem at Klarna and a, and a problem for most of the buy now, pay later providers at the moment. If you look at Klarna's latest figures, you know, bad debt, non-performing loans is, is you know, above 10 percent. So uh, it, it's that that's that's the big risk. And I agree with. 
the previous uh, person who commented that I don't think they'll make a move to go into to, to banking because why would you monetize that? That's heavily regulated. The interbanking fees, the interchange rates are like regulated uh, in the UK and across Europe and in the US. They're like 0.2 or 0.1 percent. You know, it's 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 tiny. There's no real profit in that. So let the banks be the banks, keep them with their current accounts and then, you know, take over everything else. Uh, also, uh, I think there, there is also a general, if I may just make a very quick comment here. I think the way we know banking today is not going to be the banking of what the future of banking is, because banking today is a very bundled ton, under one umbrella of regulation as a custodian, as a primary license and a money transmitter license. They offer like a thousand different financial products. Each one is a separate service, and separate service is separate transaction fees. And the transaction fees, of course, in the whole network of providers that actually come into play, either they themselves do it or they have third-party relationships. So banking as an institution, financial services getting unbundled in every sphere in the way we're actually looking at it. Again, that's where the tech plays a pretty significant role in terms of do I need to have a custodian license or a money transporter license? The number of licenses a particular institutionalized bank today has, whether it's in the United States or international or a regional or a community bank, it really depends on what financial products that you offer and what kind of licenses and regulatory requirements the providers, the ones who are working within the banking environment, including employees need to have to be you know, compliant. And a lot of that is getting unbundled. That means we don't have, we don't have this gigantic conglomerate method of one provider offering every single need of me on the financial wealth management or everything else. So there would be a massive unbundling of what we consider banking today. And some may not even need the regulatory approvals and the licenses that we are envisioning. So I think that's where it's getting to be really interesting. And the case in point is a Coinbase. Yeah, they never really fell under the SEC, but they went and bought a broker dealer license so they can do institutional custody. That's the only reason they bother. Otherwise, they really don't need SEC approval on many of the things that they did before that as an exchange. So we are seeing uh, there's a general shift in what we consider banking today and then how it is regulated to the services that they provide. And can you do that without the banking infrastructure is also something that's massively happening. And that's a big shift. That's a big disruptive thing that's happening in what we consider the financial services industry as a vertical, the way we define it today. Because part of services, anyone can now provide services. Some may require regulation oversight, some may not require you know, regulatory oversight. So that's going to be quite interesting to see how the next decade is going to pan out on that. Yeah, my only concern with you, you keep on saying unbundling, but unbundling implies more choice. I think here, if Amazon starts to become a bank, then Amazon is your retailer, your banker. They're providing you um, debt services. Maybe they're providing you mortgages. Maybe at some point in the future, 10 years time, they're providing you healthcare. So what happens then? There's total control. So actually, even though you're talking about in the short term, more unbundling, so greater choice, in actuality, you won't get that. Because the only companies that can truly move into the banking space would be the big tech companies with, you know, the trillion dollar valuations. So I, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. Um, I'm just saying that sort of world is, is a sort of dystopia. I mean, it, it's like, Christ, I, I can't afford to pay my bill. Shit, everything's cut off from me, my healthcare, everything, because I get all these services from a single provider. So be careful what we wish for. So, so before, Anita, before you jump in, uh, just if I may want to say that Visa is a network. Visa is not a bank. Visa doesn't hold the debt 
Visa doesn't manage bad debt. Okay, the issuer, the card issuer, which is essentially a bank, is the one that's going to manage the debt. So if if Amazon is looking to take on taking on the debt, they have to become a bank uh, and and uh, a consumer bank, and they have to they have cash balances. Uh, perhaps they have lots of money, uh, and so they can you know lend their own money. They don't need depositors, so they may not be a deposit bank, deposit holding bank, uh, and just a debt bank. Uh, it's possible, but I think. All of that is maybe many chess moves away. The most current move is basically saying, look, uh, Amazon uh, as a, a, doesn't need the kind of network presence that Visa is offering, uh, not at this price. Thank you, I'm done speaking. I think it's all about brand loyalty. Whatever your affinity is, whatever a brand, whether it's Kroger, Did he just jump out? About healthcare. I do believe all of this stuff is going to be connected in one situation with financial, health, education, housing. Everything will be one thing. And it's who, you, who you're loyal to. Simple as that. Has nothing, irrespective of the industry that you're in. If you believe in Visa, you'll stay with Visa for everything in your life. Thank you. Okay. So next up is... Uh, the Los Angeles Iconic Staples Center, where uh, it's the major sports arena in downtown LA, to be renamed Crypto.com Arena in a deal worth $70 million, or sorry, $700 million for 20 years. Yeah, if I could make some, some points on that, Tyler, I mean, yeah. Cheryl might chime in because I, I, the article said that Crypto.com is a, a company out of Singapore, so I probably will let her chime in on that if she knows about it. But a lot of these uh, arena and stadium naming deals, um, they sometimes have a really bad correlation with how the business does. So, you know, if you think about, like, if you remember back in the Internet bubble, there was the P PSI Net um, Stadium uh, with the Baltimore Ravens pay play, which is now named after a bank. Um, there was a CMGI somewhere, I forgot where their arena was. Um, a couple of airlines that went bankrupt, like America West, uh, Enron, Enron Field in Houston. So a lot of these naming things um, end up with the underlying entities not doing well because um, you really have to question the value of naming rights on these stadiums. I mean, it's not always the case, but it's, it's, a, it's the case a lot. Anyway, thanks. Sure. Should ask. Uh, I agree with you, except Staples is nearly out of business. And that deal was done in, you know, 1997. And it's just the times changed. The internet came, online office supplies. P PSI, I know, but P I, you're right on Staples, but PSI Net went under within three years of the naming deal. You, you know, so Staples, you're right. I was thinking about. Oh, the, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that you know, the every company has its moment, and this is Crypto.com, and eventually Crypto.com will either go broke or not. But they couldn't stay with Staples because Staples couldn't afford to do it anymore. 
Which is really interesting, Dr. France, because I, you know, the Staples Center brand as a brand is much stronger than the Staples company brand, right? So, so I think that there's also the adoption of the public and how people will perceive of this new brand. I mean, people in Chicago still call the Sears Tower, the Sears Tower instead of what it's called now. And I don't know that name, but it's but called exactly. Willis. It's, really it, it's named after Willis. It's Willis Tower. Yeah, it doesn't even, yeah, it doesn't even feel or sound right. So it'll be really interesting to see how the people of LA will make that transition to crypto.com. I think the, having lived a few blocks from there for many years, the, the, I, I, I don't even associate Staples, the store with Staples, the arena, like they seem like two. Separate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is that Netflix expands its top 10 lists to display the most viewed shows and movies for English and non-English titles ranked by aggregate viewing hours. Netflix says it heard the complaints about how it cherry picks the self-reported data it releases about content viewed on its platform. And so they're just going to go deeper, a little more transparent about uh, who's in the top 10. The next one is a double, again, a double article topic. The first article so, says... Tyler, you have to go back to the Netflix thing because I think you missed uh, an okay. important point. It's, 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 not just, it's not just a deeper dive. It's okay. the fact that the information that they used to release, because they've always changed how they, they, they count stuff. Um, it used to be whoever viewed a movie for two minutes was considered watched. And they would say, these are the most watched movies based on someone just... viewing it for all of two minutes, which most people thought was ridiculous. So they're moving off that, and they're now actually going to use time-watched as the metric. So when they tell you that this is the most viewed movie, that means it has the most minutes in aggregate watched as opposed to the number of people who clicked on for two minutes, perhaps. So it's it's a very different calculation. That's important. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a that, that's slightly misleading metric because there are different movies with different length. I think if 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 yeah, there's a movie with uh, one hour to twenty minutes, what actually can they can better do is to have that percentage watching. So uh, if the user have, on an average have watched it for sixty minutes out of one twenty, that fifty percent ratio would work best. But otherwise, it's it's unnecessarily loaded against short tenured movies. Like short time movie. That, 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 you're correct about that, but it's still what they're doing now is vastly better than just saying if someone watched something for two minutes, they can't consider it viewed. So it's an improvement over over what it was. Okay, let's see here. Um, does somebody have one so I can do a little bit of multitasking? I got the next one here. It's a, a double story, two articles. One article is that Facebook known as Meta, details a new haptic glove prototype that uses air pockets to simulate touching objects in VR. So you can pet a dog, hold your mom's hand, you know, fire a gun, do all these things with this uh, haptic glove. So you can feel things in this virtual reality. And, and has been, and they interestingly, they make a point to say that they've been de- developing it for seven years because the next article is the CEO of a company called Haptics, spelled H-A-P-T-X, 
developer of Haptic Gloves for VR says that Facebook's prototype is identical to tech it claims to have demoed to Facebook executives. And looking at the two gloves, I believe him because they they even look, you, it would be hard to make them look more similar. I mean, it's, it's kind of stunningly similar. And Taking Facebook's history, I believe them. Right. And that, great point. This is why you don't, this is why it's important as a company to be trustworthy. Because if you get this reputation that unfortunately Facebook has of, of kind of screwing people, then people don't give you the benefit of the doubt in a scenario such as this. Um, Apple tells you straight up, don't show you, don't show us okay. anything Correct. that you don't want us, that Correct. you don't want us to reverse engineer. Don't show it to us. Yep, exactly right. And we had a friend of mine, Ellen, who came into this room and that this happened to her with, believe it or not, with Apple. And she showed her device and then the new Apple AirTags are nearly visually identical to her device which I was one of the first people to ever see Jesus back in 2014. And it serves the same purpose, essentially. Looks identical. And um, she did show it to Apple. And in fact, she had an Apple, a rather senior Apple person kind of, you know, helping her with the, the device. And it's these, these things happen. But uh, one way, here's the tricky part is this company says they sh showed it to Facebook and there's a huge decision at that moment, which is, do we force Facebook to sign what's called a non-disclosure agreement? So, and acknowledging that they've been exposed to it and which would prove, you know, a record that they, at this day, at this time, you know, we had a meeting and we showed them this and they're not allowed to talk to anybody about it. And, and um, I imagine Facebook, like Apple, would absolutely just on. By the way, investors, VCs, even angel investors, re absolutely refuse to sign non-disclosure agreements because they're exposed to so much stuff that if this would be a problem on a regular basis. Because so, Tyler, do you think it's uh, do you think it's uh, just unethical or do you think it's illegal too? So what, what do you think in a case like this? Well, and, well they, they, this is a boundary, right? The, the good news is, is this startup called Haptics claims that it's patented, which means it's, ah, civil, it's, it's illegal, illegal. <laughs> it's illegal on a civil basis. And if so, maybe great for them um, because great payout. Right. I imagine if you could get a court, um, that a jury would award you more than Facebook would pay you because you could get a jury who hates Facebook to award you incredibly handsome amount for, for this. Um, by the way, just showing the two photos from the two articles, I've clipped them both. I've got them side by side on my desktop. I'm looking at them dead on. I can't tell the difference. I'm looking at the two photos side by side. I don't know whose is whose. That's how similar they are. And by the way, the haptic glove is a real thing. They use it in um, robotic surgery, and that 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 existed way before you know Facebook announced Meta. You know, there's a haptic glove that's used in robotic surgery. Yeah, yeah, Da Vinci yeah. Robotics uses it. Yeah, and there's well, here's the thing: is there's multiple different ways to achieve haptic gloves. This issue 
uh, with regard to Facebook and this company Haptics happens to be about uh, a partic- they're using a particular approach or technology called microfluid feedback. And it's a very unique way. You've got these air hoses and hydraulic hoses going into your fingertips that go into this machine that's bigger than your computer on your desk to make this whole thing work, which makes it all the more suspicious because even the machines on the desk look similar in the two photographs. So who knows? Um, I guess to be continued. I don't see why they wouldn't just buy the buy the company though. Haptics raised $12 million, $12 million in new funding in July. And so that means Facebook could have bought that in a heartbeat. Quite easily. Yeah, even just to get the patents. And to, to Facebook's credit, they're, they are never shy about buying things. And what would be interesting, and I get, is did Facebook make any kind of offer to buy this? And did, I guess not, because the company would have said so. Okay, so the next one is that uh, the, new, the new iPhone operating system called iOS 15.2 beta shows a new private sports kit framework currently integrated with Apple TV and Siri so that it's all about sports, real-time sporting events and the sports scores for basketball, football, hockey, etc. So that... Um, you can ask Siri about sports scores and you can talk to your TV about sporting events and all these kinds of things. The next one is from Vice that it said they are saying that Israeli spyware company Kandaru, which makes it easy to hack into laptops, essentially, recently was blacklisted by the United States about a week ago. We read those headlines a week ago. And It says they waged a watering hole attack on UK and Middle Eastern websites critical of Saudi Arabia and others. Well, Kandaru sells this technology to places uh, in the, you know, governments and those governments and maybe Saudi Arabia is one of the governments that's using it. That's incredibly likely because we already know that the, for example, uh, Abu Dhabi or United Arab Emirates was using one of Kandaru's sister companies, which was the NSO group Pegasus, uh, and that the leaders of the UAE were even using it on his own daughter. So it's not un- inconceivable that, uh, you know, that they're also using the, the laptop penetrating version uh, where, where Pegasus is more for penetrating iPhones, Kandaru is more used for penetrating laptops. In any case, um, the the, essentially, they were targeting um, people who were critical of Saudi Arabia. Well, guess guess who's who's interested? You think Canada cares who's critical of Saudi Arabia? No, not at all. Do you think Botswana cares who's critical of Saudi Arabia? Probably not. Do you think Saudi Arabia cares who's critical of Saudi Arabia? Yeah, probably, probably a little bit. You know, they've you know a um, couple journalists you know went missing. Um, they seem to have a record of being very concerned about people who are critical of them and even doing things about it, very bad things about it. So 
that's that's where this gets really sticky is do you sell this technology to Saudi Arabia knowing that uh, Khashoggi disappeared because he was a critic of Saudi Arabia? And this would give a, go a government a tool to find out, you know, this, here, this relates to a, a conversation I had at lunch today, which is all about the power of technologies getting more and more powerful. Facial recognition is super powerful. Kandaroo and Pegasus also super powerful. And what, what's important is if your government is a good actor, and I'll go ahead and call Canada a good actor on the scale of countries, um, I don't know that I would be very concerned as a Canadian about the Canadian government having facial recognition and uh, these technologies because they don't really have a history uh, or a, certainly a rich history of going after um, good people. Uh, I imagine they would use these powerful tools to go after bad people. Saudi Arabia, on the other hand, does have a history of going after, quote unquote, the good guys, aka journalists and, you know, critics of the state like uh, Jamal Khashoggi. So these technologies, of course, it's, it's very concerning if they get into the hands of the bad actors or bad governments or authoritarian governments. But that's who's going to use them anyways. And people who work, who live in, for example, Norway, I don't know that Norwegians have much to worry about. But I, I really would be sh sh shocked and stunned and amazed if Norway were to abuse this in a, in a really egregious way. Um, so I don't know. This is my point is the 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 authoritarian companies or countries are going to use this anyways whether you want them to or not and then the countries who can use it in very useful ways to uh, uh, go after bad actors likely won't use it and but maybe they should because they they are good actor governments going after bad actors that's the kind of use case that you want these tools for you don't want these tools being used by bad governments against good actors but that's what's happening. So what, what can you do about it? You think you can stop your good government from using it against bad actors? You think that's going to stop bad governments from using it against good actors? No, not at all. Food for thought. So the next one's for um, Axios. They say they've done analysis. The top five most followed accounts on TikTok do not rank in the top 50 on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram. They're kind of just uniquely TikTokers. Big whoop. Okay. Next up, Tel Aviv-based Laminar, which helps companies manage public cloud data security, emerges from stealth with $37 million in funding. The Brave browser now has a built-in cryptocurrency wallet, sidestepping the need for extension-based crypto wallets like MetaMask. Miramax sues Quentin Tarantino, the film director behind Reservoir Dogs and uh, Pulp Fiction and uh, what was the more recent one that was really quite good? What was Quentin's newest The one? Hateful It. Hateful It. What? The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight, okay. Uh, so Miramax sues Quentin Tarantino over copyright infringement for selling NFTs based on Pulp Fiction. 
screenplay excerpts. Miramax says it owns the screenplay rights. Oh, so now wow. Miramax filed a lawsuit on Tuesday accusing Quentin Tarantino of copyright infringement by selling NFTs based on the screenplay for Pulp Fiction. I think that makes the NFTs worth even more, <laughs> I would assume. Well, well, Tyler, that's another um, article, um, by the way, and even that when I have to more than once. Um, but people need the detail because apparently what I think may have happened here, that there were certain things in his original deal, Quentin Tarantino's, mm-hmm. that they gave him rights to, that he has the rights to use maybe the music and some other stuff. He had he had certain rights. And I think the issue is going to be is that NFTs didn't really exist. And so the issue, I think, may be, were, was it kind of the intention of maybe allowing him to use some of this stuff? Because he does have certain rights that he retained on these movies. It's just the NFTs didn't exist at the time. And that so I think that could be an issue. So you need to kind of, again, read the detail of, of the article. I don't know which article you're from where you're getting it, by the way, because I, I saw it in, I think, in the journal yesterday, but it's probably going to be in Variety and um, just like the Netflix article that you had. And Variety doesn't have a paywall. So anybody can go go to Variety.com and, and read an article. And it may not always have the same detail, but again, th- th- this, this is a, a lawsuit that's going to really come down to, I think, the detail about what rights did he have be implied because of you know, the NFTs didn't exist at the time. I know, Tyler, you'll bring up the argument, which is a good one. You know, it's like the music companies that, you know, back, you know, in the day, there was such a thing as digital rights, okay? Um, you know, because there was there was no digital. So, I mean, we're just in a in, in a new world. So it's going to be an interesting lawsuit. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's clear. Yeah, there are other issues that come into play too, which is, you know, uh, for the moment, the marketplaces do a fairly not so good job, I'll be generous, on vetting whether or not these these NFTs that they're selling, they actually have the um, the right to sell given IP and, and other kind of issues that are uh, undermine, underpinning this, um, this lawsuit. And then if you win the lawsuit, how do you actually take down off the blockchain the, um, the NFT? How do, you, how do you get it rid of in an immutable ledger? So that's those are issues that exist, irrespective of you know who's right or wrong on the on the lawsuit. Well, well Donna, even if they the couldn't take it off the blockchain, if they if they couldn't take it off the blockchain, my guess would be whoever ultimately gets the money and they decide where the money exactly. goes, really it'd be a lean on it, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, that, that's the that's the that's the remedies. But the problems yeah, the rep- become, you know, how are the how are the, there's, there was recently something that was taken down, um, and you know this whole question came up again, which is, is it really down? It's down only for the sale of it, but there's still a pointer uh, there. Anyway, it's it's all interesting and evolving, as you rightly point out. Donna, just quick question: What percent of NFTs that have been bought already do you think are going to turn into uh, digital tulips? Uh, that, that, well, the first question is how many of them also were money laundering and, and, and wash and wash trading. So that I guess would foreshadow some of the tulips. Um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is hype and a lot of it are, and a lot of them are probably tulips will out of this come uses for NFTs. Definitely. But sometimes oh, I, I agree. Yeah, know, I agree there's a lot of that goes on before there, but... it gets used. 
Yeah, but but just take a swag at at the percentage if you had to guess. Eighty. Thanks. By the way, Ken, uh, the the NFT is for the uh, uncut version of the handwritten script pages. I'm not sure if Miramax. I mean, uh, you, you rightly said the digital NFTs they didn't existed before. In fact, whole pulp fiction genre didn't existed before. I think he Tarantino is like the gave birth to that genre, and it's the NFT is about that script which is uncut. Uh, so uncut version. So would Miramax own that uncut? They should be just owning that what what got uh, showed in the movie theater. That not the whole. It depends version. on what the contract is, I and mean, there's all sorts of different contracts in Hollywood. So until you know of an underlying contract, you really you, nobody really knows. I mean, so, 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 sometimes there's work for hires. Sometimes there's stuff with back ends. There's there's all sorts of different deals. Okay. Let me see here. Oh, okay. Hold on one second, if you would. Somebody else have an article they want to share? No? Okay. Next one is a MICFO CEO, Amir Golestan, pleads guilty to wire fraud charges after fraudulently acquiring thousands of IP addresses from nonprofit ARIN, a first-of-its-kind case. He was accused of using his web service company, Micfo, to win scarce IP addresses by fraudulent means. Okay. Um, a company called QERA Computing, which is building a commercially accessible cloud-based quantum device. Now we're talking emerges from stealth with $17 million from Rocketen and others. The Boston-based quantum computer developer is coming out of stealth mode today with $17 million in funding from Rocketen and others, building a commercially accessible cloud-based quantum device. That, that sounds like a glimpse of the future right there, quantum computers in the cloud. That's amazing. The next one is from Bloomberg. Microsoft launches a data center in Sweden that runs solely on renewable energy. And congrats to my friends at Stockholm Business Region uh, for yet another successful uh, campaign. Taylor is, Stock Taylor, is Stockholm the Silicon Valley of Europe? That was the headline from Newsweek in 1999. <laughs> but no... Um, London under David Cameron in 2010 uh, pioneered that vision. They wanted to be the Silicon Valley for Europe at a time when the prime minister really wanted that to happen and was willing to do anything to make it happen. Sweden's politicians have never done anything to support the startup ecosystem um, on, on anything similar to what the UK has done. The UK appetite was tremendous to become the Silicon Valley for Europe under David Cameron, and there was incredible progress made during that time. And after David Cameron, uh, under Emmanuel Macron in Paris, Macron has a similar vision. Macron wants Paris to be the Silicon Valley for Europe, and Macron is also uh, 
um, stepped up to take the leadership role in Europe to, to foster startup ecosystem growth in Paris and has made incredible progress in that regard as well. Sweden progress has been done from the bottom up, not from the top down. So it's all very grassroots and done by the entrepreneurs and the investors themselves without any engagement from the politicians. And in fact, maybe in some, some would argue, despite the politicians, without any support from the politicians. So that's, that's the, on a person, you know, if you look at the uh, number of investments and the total amount of investments on an annual basis, London comes in first. And then more recently, Paris is coming in second. And then Stockholm kind of ties with Berlin for third. And over the past decade, Stockholm has gone from 10th to third. Uh, um, so we're on a percentage. Now, mind you, Stockholm is 1 million and those other cities are 10, 15 million. So on a, on a percentage basis, you know, per person, Stockholm is equal only to Silicon Valley in terms of the number of um, dollars invested per person. Stockholm is number one in Europe. So if um, Stockholm entrepreneurs get more funding per person than any other city in Europe, and in fact, any other city in the world. So if you want... God. So th there's different ways to look at it. So the next one is Microsoft... Oh, yeah, my, the data center in Sweden. The next one is a cybersecurity firm called Mandiant says it has high confidence that Belarus is partially responsible for a hack and leak operation in some U.S. states called Ghostwriter. And they even say uh, in this article, the Belarusian government has been accused of at least partial responsibility for Ghostwriter. Can you guess who the other party might be? Um, I'll give you a hint. Russia. It's not. It's not Canada or Norway. Uh, or Botswana. So it says sanctions were placed on Belarus earlier this year after the forced diversion of the commercial plane, that Ryanair flight, that was crazy. And the European Council has previously accused Russia of ghostwriter involvement. According to the cybersecurity researchers, Russian interference cannot be ruled out. <laughs> well, we didn't see that coming at all. Mm -mm. No, th that's a shock. This is really incredible news. <laughs> In addition, Ghostwriter has also been involved in attacks against Belarusian dissidents, media, and, uh, and individual journalists. And again, this, these are your bad actors who you don't want having tech, but you can't stop them from getting it. So um, I'll just fill in the blanks for you. Uh, this, these are Russians that have relocated to Belarus, as I said they would do many months ago. And they have. And they cleverly disguise themselves as... Belarusians and, and cooperate with Belarusians and to obfuscate their uh, dirty deeds uh, so they don't draw more attention to themselves uh, very intelligently. So the next one is, oh, the New York Times. As Moscow Metro introduces face pay, digital privacy activists express alarm at the implications of introducing citywide facial recognition. 
precisely as I said, authoritarian governments are going to use this technology. Moscow's using it for facial recognition for everyone to pay for riding the metro. You just walk in, get on a train, walk out, and they charge you instantly from your face. It's called face pay. And it's convenient. Course, super convenient and super scary if you're a political opponent of Mr. Big Vladdy Daddy. And the New York Times really doesn't like this technology. The New York Times has written now many, many pieces on precisely this issue of facial recognition. So let's read the article and then let's reflect on the point I've been making, which is there's bad governments and there's, I would argue, more, there's a spectrum, of course, and you have more or less good acting governments, although it is a little bit binary in some sense. And the and there's good actors, good citizens, and there's bad citizens. And the issue is that in the good governments, they will use this technology to go after bad citizens. Norway, I believe, would almost exclusively use this against bad people, not good people. Russia uh, is likely to use this against uh, non-bad people, <laughs> aka good people, who it shouldn't be used against. And therein lies the problem. The bad governments will use it against the good people. The good governments will use it against the bad people. The point is, there's nothing you as a good person under a good government can do to stop bad governments from using it against good people. You saying, the New York Times saying, this is bad, we shouldn't use this, solves nothing. It does not stop the authoritarian regimes and the bad governments from using it at all. At all. It doesn't the make data's... The, yep. the data's out there. The cameras are out there. Um, this can only be managed. It can't be stopped. Correct. That's There's a lot of truth there. So I, I'm, I'm curious what the objective is here. If they want America to not use it, well, I would... <laughs> I don't know. I think they would... The question ultimately, I believe the ultimate question is, and this is a, 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 an opportunity for a fantastic debate, but I believe the real question at the end of the day is... Will your government, will it be used net-net? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Net-net, in total. It, in, in the case of America, I'm willing to concede that it will be used in uh, nefarious ways. Yep. Now, I'm also, I hope that the, someone who wants to debate this would also concede that it will be used to arrest an unimaginable amount of bad people. And so in that equation, in that algebra, is the outcome of that equation a net positive or a net negative? Is it... Is the, the it, one thing... Yes. The, the one thing I would call out as being the biggest risk um, and, and illustrated by the uh, surreptitious acquisition of all the cell phone records of all the journalists in D.C. to see who was contacting whom in the White House um, during the Trump administration for leaks, that oppression of the free press and that threat to the free press is um, potentially the biggest risk um, to democracy um, if facial recognition plays a part in intimidation of the free press, uh, similar to how the cell phone records have already been exploited. Is that a good point? 
Uh, I'm reading the article now. Uh, it says, according to an expert, Moscow ranks third in the world for the most surveillance on streets and public transport with 200,000 cameras. And Russian police are have already used facial recognition to find and arrest demonstrators who participated in peaceful opposition protests. I, I don't know about you, but I'm stunned. So... It says the two other countries that have gone ahead with facial recognition payment systems are China and Belarus, where the privacy rights are also of little concern to the government. So Belarus uses it on the Minsk metro called Look and Go. Okay. Also very concerning because Lukashenko is arresting pro peaceful protesters. Moscow officials have tried to calm concerns about privacy invasion by insisting that the images and data collected are securely encrypted. Uh, an agency, though, has said they have uncovered evidence that the system is porous and vulnerable to intruders who can use the data and images for criminal purposes. Like what? Please be more specific. Privacy advocates are pushing for a more transparent system of control for this and other advanced and often intrusive technologies. We need to be sure that all of these innovations are used to help people, not harden them. Okay, that's a nice sound bite. FacePay is part of a broader set of efforts in the city to institute technological solutions. Um, Moscow has the power in terms of finance and budgets, says Sergei Kamalov, a professor at the prestigious Moscow State Institute of International Relations. Moscow is the avant-garde, a test case for all different kinds of systems. And they go on to talk about smart cities and etc. And I don't see anything else in the article to really drive home their point about uh, the double-edged sword. I guess it is a, a, it's a double-edged sword in Moscow, but it's gonna, I think it's gonna be used, there's gonna be more egregious uses in Moscow than in other places, and, and that's already happening, because you have a government who's actively trying to silence and stop any political uh, opponents. And so democracy has already ended there, and they're using technology to enforce that. And that's unfortunate, but as once once you're already over the cliff's edge on the slippery slope, where the government feels like they have endless um, allowance to abuse power, then technology is just one more tool in their toolkit, and, and it's an incredibly powerful tool in their toolkit, and then they entrench their power indefinitely, which is happening in Russia and China, notably at the moment. They're both using technology to entrench their power. And that's why you don't want to become an authoritarian government in the age of technology, because once you give them a little bit, uh, they can use technology to take it all the way home. Tyler, if I may, um, this is generally a trend we're seeing more and more. Um, democratic backsliding is just happening all over the world. You know, look at Hungary, Poland, those two countries are reverting to more authoritarian hybrid regimes. And so, the use of tech to clamp down on freedom of speech, freedom of the media, censorship. This is all quite in tune with that sort of thing. 
And all I'd say is that Belarus is just a proxy state, really, of Russia. You know, they've got a very strong political union. So there's not. Much, I'm not surprised by any of this, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, they're just in context. And America is not impervious to such behaviors either. We've been so polarized, it would be easy to utilize technology to advance that polarization even further. And just because we say we're a democratic uh, country doesn't mean that we're impervious to that as well. Yeah, I can tell you that we are using that technology. I know they're using it in Baltimore City. They, use it, they used it in Boston during the... Um, uh, during that uh, that attack with the marathon, so they are actively using it mostly on the state levels. It get it gets implemented like throughout because they have different very they have various programs um, that have been receiving funding from um, Homeland Security because it's going to become like a huge network eventually. But it's all about putting those uh, checks and balances and making sure you have a thoroughly vetted um, human in place as well. So um, just because I implemented some of those systems, that's what we've done between um, within the Maryland DC area with our cameras. We work very much together um, with the counties and the cities and municipalities with the cameras and talk to the citizens about what we do. So I can't speak on everyone else, but that's what they do here. Oh, yeah, I, I think point. we need, we need you letters. correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. I, I know that um, the state of Ohio, um, and I, I don't know if it was at the state level or at the municipal but I think that the policy would be quite similar with the traffic cams. You know, people are getting these tickets for running yellow or orange, maybe red lights, speeding, et cetera. And they actually fought, you know, so, so there was a coalition of people that fought against it, saying that it was an invasion of their privacy. And I know that at least three cities took it down. So, like I said, I'm not sure that it was on a state level or if it was just a series of municipalities that followed suit. But, um, you know, I, I would see that as being a pattern with this technology as well, you know, just given the various jurisdictions. I think some of those takedowns, though, um, if I recall the reports correctly, were based upon the fact that they were triggering the photos before the light was red to increase uh, revenue into the city coffers and that that was the basis of the takedown even though the argument may have been privacy they got caught resetting the intervals so that people were being fined for things they didn't do that my suggestion in terms of legislation and oversight is that there needs to be an explicit white list of allowed uses and ex, uh, uh, explicit black list of disallowed uses and mechanisms for oversight that includes watching the watchers and anything short of that that's is going to be very dangerous. That's the, yeah, that's currently what has been implemented with the ones that I have. Uh, as soon as someone acts, so what happens is there's a series of cameras in an area that if a situation happens, uh, the police officer in that area receives all the cameras um, and they receive like all the situational awareness involved with that between 911, the CAD, all that stuff, and then also headquarters. But if someone um, access those cameras to say, because they also get cameras in the school areas as well. So in their little uh, surveillance area or whatever, they'll also get that, that access too. If they decide to peek in on an elementary school or a high school, and there's not an active situation, 
automatically a series of events happen and happens. Not only does the principal at that school and the SRO of that school gets notified, but also the, um, the officer on duty and the lieutenant, and there's an entire audit trail of how long that person, uh, when that person logged into that camera, how long they logged into it, were they doing any screenshots, were they doing any recording, and then there's also cameras inside the vehicle as well. So there's a series of different things, and they review this report constantly. Do you agree that we need federal legislation that, that canonizes that approach? I would agree with that I was, 100%. I don't know about federal level yet, because remember, we also complain about too much government. And the reason why we have state governments is because we want, you know, that whole, we want the states to be empowered to govern themselves. I will say maybe because of department, um, I mean, Homeland Security does have some things out there. It's not very um, thorough in uh, the detail about uh, cameras and cameras list uh, uses, but on a state level, in county level, they do have like a list of acceptable uses, a list of non-uses, and we've thoroughly gone through like all the different types of risks that can occur uh, with those cameras. And even, um, and all, uh, I mean, even just, not just with the individual, um, you know, the person getting access, we also have to worry about other people hacking the system, um, trying to get access to those cameras as well. I, I would I would agree and argue the point that we would need federal legislation only because on the state level we've seen some nefarious things happen, particularly the article that Harvard University had on racial discrimination with facial recognition in New York City, for example, where just um, a person jaywalking was then tagged as a known person and then they were um, profiling neighborhoods um, based on their facial recognition da data. And it was marginalizing, it was, it was attacking the marginalized communities more so than any other. So that, that sort of inference shows you that you need a broader policy to show exactly how that's used. More importantly, I do know that New York Times also wrote an article on how the state tried to override that, that by writing rules on facial recognition, but still they're not hitting the mark on um, fairness and equity on facial recognition. So yeah, there are ways that states can can use the tool nefariously if they're not um, sort of watched by by federal legislation. I think. Yeah, yeah I think, I think mm -hmm. the sooner this arrives in the Supreme Court, the better. Uh, albeit um, stacked towards the uh, conservative end of federalism, um, but this is a Supreme Court issue. Yeah, it's going to take a while before it gets to the federal level, unfortunately. That's why probably encouraging like DHS and other agencies like that to work with the um, with these states and other places to, you know, create that, you know, those best practices and those guidelines and those rails so these things won't happen. Because waiting for the Supreme Court and just waiting for the, that level, it's it'll take forever. Can I just make a general point, having worked in New York City and New York State government uh, and working to, uh, having political science background, as a generalization, you're going to get uh, a more liberal, more proactive um, enforcement of uh, rights for uh, minorities from New York State and New York City. Generally, I understand some of the issues with the New York City police, but generally you will get you will get more out of New York State than you'll get out of some sort of national blend. 
But the other thing I wanted to point out is that the, the reason we have states is actually just an historical anachronism because we were created by the states forming the federal government. But if you actually sat and thought about it, and some people have, like former New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan when he was alive, he said, we wouldn't, if we started from scratch today, given the country that we have today, we would not have state governments because we, we were constantly superseding the states out of efficiency reasons to have a national standard and whatever. He said, you'd have two levels of government. You'd have a federal government and you'd have regional governments because he said, there's no rational reason, by the way, that New York City and Buffalo should be in the same jurisdiction because they have nothing to do with each other. So if you were going to draw regional government lines in terms of municipal service deliveries, you would put New York City in the same area with Northern New Jersey, even though now they reside in different states, but that there's a connectivity there because people go back and forth. So we would do things completely different on a rational, efficient basis if we were starting from scratch today. We're just stuck with the states because it's in the constitution and that's the way the country was created. But I don't think we would actually do that today if we were starting from scratch. And uh, I'm hundred percent agree with you, Ken. Hundred percent agree with. You. Next up, do it. Where is it? Where are they? Where are the where is the articles? Here we go. Microsoft and Uber leave the Internet Association. It's just a big lobbying group in D.C. And an Indian startup called Go Quick which helps e-commerce merchants improve conversions and lower return rates raises 15 million led by Sequoia. So another Sequoia investment in India and place a startup, which offers tools for real estate agents, covering accounting, hiring ads, and more raises a hundred million dollars led by Goldman Sachs at a billion valuation. The FDA authorizes prescription VR treatment for chronic lower back pain. VR, you heard that correctly. Someone just got an, a VR, a virtual reality treatment for chronic lower back pain was just approved I by the FDA. I recall there being a debate that this is so far in the future it would not happen and here we're seeing it, just as I said. FDA approval for VR treatment of low, chronic lower back pain. And Bloomberg has a, a new one that just came in. They say they have sources that BlockFi faces SEC scrutiny for offering high interest rates for lending out crypto in Texas and New Jersey, and others are already investigating BlockFi. Tyler, I think John has a comment regarding the back pain treatment. Go ahead, here. John. Yeah, very quickly. Um, Walter Greenleaf, who's one of the pioneers in medical VR, uh, just last week published um, the first sort of case study of all of the VR uses in healthcare. Um, it's excellent. Um, and I don't believe it's available yet on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon, but they don't have copy to distribute. But anybody interested in medical uses of VR, Walter Greenleaf, Stanford professor, one of the pioneers in the space, invented physical transfer, which is amazing. Um, that is the new reference Bible for VR and healthcare. Okay. Wall Street Journal says they have sources that Republican FTC commissioners feel excluded under the current leadership of Lena Khan. Lena Khan rejected the claims in an agency-wide memo. 
Okay. Let's see here. It says, I think it's as simple as that. Um, the tensions spilled over publicly last week when one of the FTC's two Republican commissioners, Christine Wilson, gave a speech at an American Bar Association conference in which she said that the commission's current leadership, Lena Khan, has sidelined and disdained our staff. Quote, leadership routinely fall, fails to solicit the advice of our experienced staff, Miss Wilson said, adding that the current environment has prompted some staffers to leave. Following Miss Wilson's speech, Miss Khan sent out a commission-wide internal memo to address, quote, commentary about the environment at the agency, saying she cared deeply about the FTC's mission and the staff. Quote, I know that there are still many relationships and bridges to build, and I am eager to do so as we chart this path forward together. Ms. Khan, whose early professional career has included stints as a professor and a congressional staffer, is leading an agency of more than 1,100 people, most of whom are working remotely during the pandemic. In her message to staff, she acknowledged that commentary on the agency's past work can feel like a direct and personal criticism of the career staff who have worked tirelessly during this time, Quote, this could not be further from the truth, she wrote. Okay. Next up. Um, uh, Bloomberg has done some analysis that Pakistan-based startups have raised $300 million in 2021, more than the previous six years combined, with investors from the U.S., UAE, and Singapore. MIT says they have a look at the promise and perils of personalized avatars in Meta's metaverse, Facebook's metaverse. As some experts worry, it might make body image issues even worse. Oh no! The metaverse makes me feel bad about my body self image. Because my avatar is too sure bad. How? Do, do, can't you get a slimmer avatar? I don't I, know. That's what I would I need, do. Is there is there is there a gyms in the metaverse? <laughs> you can create one. <laughs> South African payments gateway called Ozo, which makes online transactions simpler, raises forty eight million. Braze, a marketing campaign management software startup, raises five hundred twenty million. Bloomberg says they have sources that China is empowering a quasi government body to certify local suppliers in areas like cloud and semiconductors to reduce reliance on foreign tech. And a look at Meta's, uh, Facebook's attempts to decrease info sharing internally, especially for its research and integrity divisions, some worry at the expense of product safety. And Qualcomm's chief financial officer says that Qualcomm expects to uh, continue to grow despite uh, less business with Apple, but they see a lot more growth in other industries. So the stock went up uh, yesterday slash today. And those are your big stories for today. Now we get into the tweets. Does anyone have a hot tweet they want to make sure we get into? Tyler, this one on top of the new is about Singapore. I want uh -huh. to hear what you guys think. Singapore, which is often portrayed as an aspiring techno-utopia, not really, 
is edging closer to a surveillance <laughs> state. Edging closer to a surveillance state, Cheryl, amid a nationwide move toward constant vigilance. And this is a really interesting one because when we talked about good states and bad states, Singapore's a really interesting one because generally, I mean, they they are known for loving control. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yet, if... I'd say they use it for good, though. I would, I would too. In general, yes. I, would, I would say, well, even most of their people that would say that they use it for good. There, there are people in Singapore who don't, who feel the government goes too far. Um, but they rarely, uh, truly abuse it in a super egregious way, and and they certainly and yeah. So generally, I think even Singaporeans. Um, in general, if they voted on it, I think the Singaporeans would be in favor of it. Yes. Smart nation, robot dogs enforce social distancing and an app can claim to neutralize racism. The reality is very different, it says. Yeah, they, they are going to embrace it. It says that they, they are turning into a surveillance state nightmare. Well, they're going to turn into a surveillance state, but it isn't necessarily a nightmare. It could be fantastic. Like if you... Who is the writer? Must be an American, right? I think for foreigners, maybe a nightmare. Remember when the foreigners, the travelers, they um, like uh, chewing gums and spit and then got fined. Yes. And, and the smokers. So I think of nightmare. For One without the mask. Yeah, yeah. Refused to wear the mask. Cheryl, I thought they got the they got same beat. issues I saw in Korea. You Americans get, would come and get, get upset clean? about it. Um, the, the the author lives in London, and I mean that's 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 a security it, it, surveillance it, nightmare. London. They have more the one, than is he the one who got deported because of not wearing mask? The, the UK. <laughs> no, I don't think he is. <laughs> Burn. Yeah, that's a pretty sick burn. But um, he's a London, and he, based on his Twitter bio, it gives no indication that he has any kind of firsthand uh, extensive experience with Singapore. So he I, might I have. I was in Singapore before the pandemic. I felt pretty safe and secure. Oh, you know, incredibly I, I wasn't safe, worried yeah. about getting getting mugged or. Robbed or, Remember, you know, what's good is relative to everyone. It depends on who's on the other side of it. So, and you know. our policemen are very friendly. This is true. I loved how friendly the cab drivers are. They're uh, they're just so friendly compared to any other place I've been. And they give you yeah. a lot of information. Yeah, they're so nice. Everyone's great. I don't know. There are a lot of there are a lot of surveillance states around the world. Why 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 focus on Singapore? I don't I don't get it. Well, the thing is, as you said, Singapore is very transparent about their kind of control, and London, on the other extreme, you know, is a little more covert in their you know surveillance. Oh, similar to America. Yeah. Similar to America. Well, that's because we try to give off the, the false presentation 
of like, you know, you can do whatever you want. There's yes. like flexibility and all this stuff when actually everything's being controlled and we're really not a democ democracy. We're more of a republic. So, yeah. Whereas you get to uh, Asia and the first few words you learn is CCTV. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was like. It's relative about how much like cameras, how much use cameras can be, because I've been with different citizens and a lot of the citizens in many areas really love it, especially when you go in certain parts of Baltimore City. I don't know if anybody's ever been certain I areas. I grew up in like Baltimore blue, City. I know they have Baltimore like the, well. Yeah, so you know, like the very, so you know, like the blue lights and all that stuff, those are indicating that those are surveillance areas because of certain activity. And the locals there, they're happy for it. So I've seen some crazy things on camera that people are doing and some of them know the camera's there and they do it so it's pretty much damned if you do damned if you don't we just all we can do is make sure we put it protocols in place to make sure that they're not being abused and singapore is such a small country why, why focus the spotlight there when you have china as its neighbor who's uh <laughs> literally questionable how they're using it right <laughs> literally 1984 so unbelievable Okay, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> okay. Bless you. Thank you very much. Gesundheit. Uh -huh. So the next one is from Manaz from RT.com out of Russia. And Russia says that the FBI and the CDC, Center for Disease Control, investigate smallpox virals at big pharma facilities. The FBI and the CDC have launched a probe after several questionable vials labeled as smallpox were discovered in a freezer at a lab near Philadelphia. According to an alert obtained by Yahoo News, the 15 mysterious vials were found on Tuesday night at a Merck laboratory, according to an unclassified alert sent to the Department of Homeland Security and seen by RT. Five of the um, ampules carried labels reading smallpox, while another 10 were said to contain vaccinia virus and the source of the modern smallpox immunization. The vials were reportedly secured immediately and the facility was briefly placed on lockdown. While that has since been lifted, federal law enforcement as well as the Center of Disease Control have opened investigations which are ongoing. The CDC is set to take possession of the vials sometime on Wednesday, according to the alert, which also noted that no Merck staff were exposed to the materials. While it remains unclear exactly where the containers were found, Merck runs two major facilities in Pennsylvania. Smallpox is a deadly and infectious disease caused by the variola virus, which carries a mortality rate of around 30%, according to the FDA, though the agency said that some less common forms of the illness are unusually fatal. While the last naturally occurring case of smallpox was recorded in the 1970s, with the disease largely eradicated through global vaccination campaigns, two labs are still authorized to store samples of the pathogen for research purposes, including a site in Siberia, Russia, and another in the CDC headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Oh, so they're not supposed to have it. So that okay, I was trying to figure out what was in. Oh, yes, like it's a lab. Yeah, I'm I'm intimately familiar with this issue. <laughs> um, 
There were f- it's interesting that uh, Bill Gates warned last week um, of a smallpox terror attack. That's what I was um, going to say. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying. trying to raise funds, isn't he, to set up more research. Well, he, uh, George Church, George Church, one of the top pioneers in genomics, has um, declared this inevitable long ago. Um, so, getting vaccines produced at scale soon is a really really noble endeavor so you're i'm just looking this up because i had not heard about the bill gates warns of smallpox terror attacks as he seeks um research funds now this is last week yeah this is november 9th and this is very interesting because if you've been with us in tech news regularly for many months you know i've said exactly this that Bill Gates is worried about smallpox. I've said that multiple times over many months. And I have my own personal story in this uh, with George Church, as uh, our friend John just said. And let me, let me reiterate, this is absolutely worth hearing this story. So I was uh, invited to participate and attend this incredibly exclusive event at SpaceX headquarters in Los Angeles in the SpaceX boardroom one weekend. About, this is about eight years ago now, seven and a half years ago. And in the room were Elon Musk, uh, Nathan Mirvold, who's Bill Gates's closest friend in life, a multi-billionaire um, who was the kind of technical genius at Microsoft during the golden era of Microsoft and a very eccentric billionaire genius and uh, Larry Page, the co-founder of Google, uh, Nassim Taleb, the author of The Black Swan, um, Danny Hillis, the creator of the RAID server architecture that the entire, you know, cloud internet that we know today exists on and a few other interesting people, Sean Parker, the creator of Napster, who was the first president of Facebook, etc., and um, Ari Emanuel. Um, anyway, and then George Church and Craig Ventner, the two kind of the LeBron and um, and Michael Jordan of genetics were both the main you know, speakers, and they both said separately on separate days, Saturday and Sunday, we were there for two days, that what they want this room of billionaires and myself to understand is that in the very near future, the cost of genetic editing will drive down to incredibly low prices, which will enable people to reconstruct smallpox. And we all gasped and said, well, what can we do about this? And they said nothing except you, Gates isn't willing, you know, he's got the resources to do something about it. So Nathan Mirvold, who is Bill Gates' very closest friend in life, was in that event for the weekend. And so it was shortly after that, because this was 2014. In 2015, Bill Gates did a TED Talk at TED on the main stage saying, we need to get ready for a, a massive global pandemic. And that TED Talk is very well known now because during COVID, people said, oh, my God, Bill Gates said in 2015 at a TED Talk that a pandemic's coming. How did he know? And a hundred 
news outlets interviewed Bill Gates to ask him, how did he know a pandemic's coming? And he says, this isn't the pandemic I was talking about. And he says, we're actually very lucky because it could have been a whole lot worse. Because he knows exactly what I know because we both learned it from the same people, which is George Church and Craig Ventner. So I moved to Thailand to prepare. Hello from Thailand. Well, actually from Sweden today. But uh, I live off the grid in a fully apocalypse-ready environment in Thailand. (laughs) So uh, precisely because of this. And Bill Gates is taking a more proactive approach and is trying to build up the defenses now that mRNA vaccines exist, a, a remedy or a vaccine for whatever engineered smallpox should be happen could be created expeditiously. And the question is the distribution. And he's very focused on this and he's not playing games. He's very. But what's interesting is I've been listening to Bill Gates interviews ever since then. And in every interview he's ever done, he's hinted at very cagedly this possibility of a smallpox pandemic. And and from time to time, he does even use the word smallpox over the years. And more as we get more and more closer to 2021, he gets more and more obvious. And now he's just let the whole cat out of the bag that this is what he's been worried about. And this is what the TED Talk was really all about, is this is what uh, George Church, Craig Ventner, Bill Gates, and everyone's really, all the billionaire geniuses, are worried about smallpox. And um, he legitimately does want to raise funds because he he has a plan for how to minimize the damage. And the Gates Foundation already has been spending billions in R&D and setting up a, a kind of network of facilities to distribute uh, a vaccine expeditiously in the in the event of this, and he and I and I both think of COVID as an incredible rehearsal um, to expose the weaknesses and strengths that that were exposed as a part of uh, the the pandemic of COVID, which has an incredibly low mortality rate. Uh, um, relatively, but yet it was it did effectively expose kind of the uh, the strengths and weaknesses in the system. The problem with smallpox is it I don't think it has asymptomatic infections, so it's 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 you you can identify it. Whereas something like MERS, which is like COVID, it does, but it has a much higher mortality. So if right. you were going to create a bioweapon, you would right. use something like MERS, which obviously was the research that was going on you would do at both. the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You would you would do a, a, you would engineer the smallpox to have as long an incubation period as possible. Heaven forbid you could get it up to sixty days. No, but you, you don't need to do that because you've already got a virus with sixty percent lethality in MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which is basically another COVID variant but more lethal. But it also manifests, it has asymptomatic uh-huh. infections. So then you would have a population walking around that are infectious but not showing symptoms. That's the reason why COVID is, is so difficult to control. Because right. there are people walking around with it that don't show any symptoms. Right. With smallpox, everybody would show symptoms. So it would be easier to control. Yeah. So as a bioweapon, it's not as effective as potentially you know MERS. And, and also it's already been shown that you can 
can in effect weaponize MERS because that's that's what Andy uh, Daszak or Peter Daszak and and the NIH funded in in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So I, I wouldn't I, focus on smallpox. I would focus on COVID variants. I wanted to add. I had the room um, very recently with Alex uh, Hoekstra at H O E K S T R A, and he's actually supported by um, Dr. Church. Um, he, they are making basically an open source platform for vaccines because you cannot basically possibly control that, right? So um, if you want to stay ahead. Uh, their the idea is basically to make an open source vaccine platform so that everyone in every country can help uh, build that and add on to it. It's a really great project and very important for our future. So, you know, if you want to learn more about it, please check it out. And, you know, if you want to support it, I think it's a wonderful because if you want to attack and be really successful with it, you would also um, start this pandemic in a country that doesn't have the resources so this uh, project you know everyone in every country can access the information and how to make the vaccines um, uh, in real time so uh, you can stop basically the ideas that every country in, um, with any resources can um, tackle this problem right in the beginning see that that actually thank you Katerina for that because that sort of answers the largest question I have, which is if Bill Gates had this idea or had this knowledge, why not let everyone know? Why not get all the minds together so that we can work collaboratively rather than working in silos to raise funds here and there? Let's get all the minds. So I love this idea of an open source access where everyone can pull their data in and try to get ahead of it rather than be reactionary. Yeah, exactly. And I agree. And they also are working on tackling problems like the RNA vaccine is really great and it's really fast to scale and everything. The The problem is that we have um, is if you use the same vector, you will have over time um, a, a decreased response from the immune system because the immune system also not just um, uh, recognizes um, the protein like that is encoded in the RNA, but also recognizes the vector. And if you use the same vectors repeatedly without modulating them, the vaccines won't be really effective. So they're working on all these problems and in an open source way. And we know from tech that this has been working really well and really efficiently. So I, I'm, I'm really supportive of that project. I think he also, um, get the Gates uh, Foundation and, and Bill Gates himself, uh, as soon as actually they heard something, uh, even before the U.S. was quite aware about COVID coming uh, from his resources in China, he actually did jump on it. And then the COVAX is the result of that. He got all the resources together and then um, said that the developing countries are going to suffer and uh, got all the pharmaceuticals, including the JJ, Pfizer and others. To, to come up with the COVAX and with the funding. And that was actually the very first few, uh, few million um, vaccinations Africa got. So um, I think he did as soon as he got it. Okay. So the next article 
is from uh, that was Manaz with the smallpox. The next one's from Katarina about blo blockchain firm Consensus raises two hundred million dollars from HSBC. So a bank investing two hundred million into a blockchain technology company. That's quite interesting. Valuation of three point two billion. Katarina also sends in this one from the Guardian about. Uh, can I give you a call back do uh, from from your dog? Dog phone lets pets ring their owners. When dog moves a ball containing device, it sends a signal to a laptop and launches a video call. So you can do video calls with your dog. You just teach the dog to pick up the ball, and that initiates the call. And I can't wait to be in a meeting and say, excuse me, my dog's calling. The next one is China is eyeing the metaverse as the next internet battleground. The metaverse may emerge as an arena where Beijing jostles to establish technological dominance over other countries. China last week launched its first metaverse industry group, the Metaverse Industry Committee, under the state supervision of the state-supervised China Mobility Communications Association, speaking at the launch ceremony which took place in a conference room decorated with the hammer and sickle flag of the Chinese Communist Party. The former vice minister of the Ministry of Science and Technology laid out the high stakes of the incipient metaverse. He made clear that it was no passing fad nor empty buzzword, but rather an important trend to seize, to seize on as China seeks to cement its global tech prowess. Quote, the metaverse will definitely become a wind vane of global technology development in the next decade and will also become a new high ground of competition in the digital economy of all countries. Even as seemingly, even as seemingly every other tech company is talking about the metaverse, Facebook going all in, even rebranded itself meta, there is no single comprehensive and widely accepted definition of what the metaverse actually is and why China sees the metaverse as a global competition. Uh, it's a very lengthy article. Will Beijing tech crackdown extend to the metaverse is one of the questions it talks about. And uh, so if you want to know all about China and the metaverse, I just tweeted that one out to the Tech News Twitter account. Thank you, Katerina. The next one is that a quantum computing startup says it's ready to take on IBM and Google, two of the biggest players in quantum computing. Founded by MIT and Harvard scientists and funded by DARPA, QERA, the one that we read about, has, been, has built a 256-qubit quantum computer using its own unique architecture. There we go. Let's hope, let's hope they're onto something good there. The next one... Well, be careful with what you hope for because um, yeah. potentially, it's. I'm sure there are many steps between here and there, but uh, 256 bits would uh, potentially let you um, find things like hash collisions. And if, if you recall, um, Bitcoin is based on uh, SHA-256 hashes. Yeah. Could the next 9-11 be caused by drones? From Newsweek, quote, if you had a couple of small UAS 
and you flew into a crowded stadium, that could cause a lot of damage, and it's a scenario that could potentially be in play. Yes, drone swarms will be a very serious problem. The next one... Um... Tyler. Yes. Uh, if you if you backtrack the whole 9-11 story, there were a lot of uh, issues other than the actual issue. There were a lot of... Uh, lack of cooperation and information exchange between FBI and CIA. And a lot of it got covered in the in the, in the, the war on terror documentary on Netflix. So I, I think people are now pretty much aware about those gaps and something like this could never happen because the, the scenario is there. Uh, and there were actually attacks on in WTC, leading a couple of attacks, small, minor, major, leading up to that event. And mm-hmm. there was ridiculous amount of, you know, irresponsible uh, uh, stealth of information by CIA. They, they didn't share the FBI right point. So the next one is a video from our friend Evan uh, of a drone delivery company. A new drone delivery company called Mana. Because Mana, you know, it falls from heaven. That's kind of clever. Uh, M-A-N-N-A. And it's an app. And you download the app, and then you can order stuff, and it will be delivered by drone. Here it comes. The next one, also a video, also from Evan, of solar sidewalks. You can generate solar energy from the sidewalk or driveway with durable solar panels that you can walk and drive on. And the next one from Katerina, from The Guardian, it says, Revealed, the software that studies your Facebook friends to predict who may commit a crime called Voyager, which pitches its tech to police, has suggested indicators such as Instagram usernames that show Arab pride can signal inclination towards dot, dot, dot. So I just tweeted that one out. That's a little scary. Yeah. And Google launches something called Pathways, a next generation AI architecture that can handle many machine learning tasks simultaneously. Imagine forgetting everything you'd learned, how to balance, how to leap, how to coordinate the movement of your hands and starting from scratch every time you learned a new skill. Jumping rope, for example. Most machine learning models today are trained in this manner. Today's AI systems are usually taught from scratch for each new task. The mathematical models parameters are initialized with random numbers. Typically, each new model is trained from the ground up to accomplish one thing and one thing only, rather than extending existing models to learn new functions. This results in developing different models for different tasks. It it takes longer to learn each new task this way. Much more data is required to learn each new task. This is not how people approach new tasks. There is need to develop models with various capabilities that can be summoned on as needed and stitched together to execute new, more complex tasks, similar to how the mammalian brain generalizes across tasks. It uses previous tasks to, in its development of learning newer tasks. So why don't AIs? Well, they will. And when they do, oh boy, are we going to get uh, an absolute (laughs) boom of very powerful algorithms and Tyler 
Yes. The pioneer of this field who's working on the, who's Joshua Benjio, who's working on this, basically replicating the S2 systems. Uh, it's, 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 he's, and the others are not quite hopeful about it. They, they see that AI winter coming in. Currently, what happens is that uh, there are two sets of things which our brain does. Our brain has S1 and S2. S1 generally generalizes all of it. Look at pattern. S2 is more like reason, uh, has to do with reasons and logic. So they say that S1 is replicable by AI. S2 is not. But uh, in order to do something like S2, we need a phenomenal breakthrough. So we are going to observe a we are not going to observe uh, any AGI near near term or solution of S2. And yeah, at, at least in next 10 years, it's not coming. Maybe after that. Hmm. So the, the next one, well, is perfectly related. It says from entrepreneur.com, singularity is fast approaching and it will happen first in the metaverse. Is the metaverse going to change life as we know it? What does this mean for our future? And the next one is massive birth cohort study finds young adults with social anxiety are less likely to meet a range of educational outcomes. A popular a population based cohort study found that people who are diagnosed with social anxiety disorder were less likely to meet a range of educational outcomes from passing all of their compulsory school subjects to earning a university degree. The study, which included data from over 2 million Swedish people, was published in the journal Psychological Medicine. Social anxiety disorder, one of the most common mental health diagnoses, involves an avoidance of social situations due to fears of being judged or scrutinized by others. The condition often interferes with other parts of life, tends to be chronic, and frequently goes untreated. Okay, thank you for that one. And Dr. Fran sends in the next one from MSN, which says you might get money from a TikTok class action lawsuit. I guess we'll find out more about that. If you live in Illinois and you use TikTok to create videos, you may be entitled to six times the payment According to court documents, in order to submit a claim, you go to the website. Do you use TikTok? Do you have fun with it? Do you like it? Let me know. So I guess there's a class action against TikTok. According to court documents, a proposed 92 million settlement is pending involving TikTok. The lawsuit alleges the company, quote, violated federal and state laws by collecting and using and personal data in connection with the use of TikTok. I think they're referring to the face they are that includes stuff like facial and fingerprint scanning well they they said in their terms of agreement but you clicked accept so we'll see how that court case plays out and then speaking of social media evan found this one about twitter that most twitter users are talking to themselves a study confirms so the top 25% of tweeters and the bottom 75% of tweeters is the focus of this study where the top 25% of tweeters tweet 65 times per month with 230 followers. They follow 469 accounts and one retweet where the bottom 75% of tweeters don't tweet at all, have 29 followers 
follow 125 accounts. And what else? One quarter of Twitter users produce the vast majority of tweets in the U.S. 25% of tweeters create 97% of the tweets. The bottom 75% of tweeters only make 3% of the tweets. And Sweden to introduce a COVID-19 vaccine passports for indoor events with more than 100 people. Uh, is that true? Because this is not a Swedish source. I can verify this very quickly. I don't think it's true. I've not heard this. We currently don't have anything like that. Oh, there it is. Sweden to introduce vaccine passes for events of over 100 people. The Swedish Public Health Agency announced today, Wednesday, that they will introduce vaccine passes for the first time from the start of December. With theaters, concerts, and other indoor events able to limit entry to fully vaccinated, which in Sweden is no problem. Everyone's vaccinated. Vaccine passes are a measure that we see as necessary, says the agency's director general. Okay, so my event on December 14th will need to check for vaccinated people. Okay, so uh, that is it for our headlines and tweets for today. Um, and we will meet again tomorrow, as we always do, but I think we're going to hand it over to Messi's Tech News Around Africa room, uh, which you can see the link above my head. Messi, you going to start now? You'll start it, Messi. Yeah, I'll I'll go uh, get it started. Thank you, guys. Some of you there, and some of you probably will go to bed. (laughs) Okay, bye. All righty. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Do you need me to close it? Um, I think I think I'll be I think I'll be able to close it. Let's see.